Welcome to BIB Today. We're the daily business podcast from the Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIB.com. I'm Kirk LaPointe. I'm Tyler Orton. With the World Cup starting this week, we know many people are going to be placing wagers on the matchups. And one Vancouver company is hoping to capitalize on the demand for all these office pools. We're going to speak to uh, Jamie Tatsubana. He's from Footy Stats. He's going to join us in just a few moments. Now, the Bank of Canada has been sending signals in recent weeks that a rate hike is coming. And meanwhile, the U.S. Federal Reserve, the Fed, has already uh, raised rates twice this year. So how are these hikes going to have an impact on average Canadians and their investments? Jason Del Vicario, the portfolio manager at Hollis Wealth, is going to join us later on again on the program to discuss how we can prepare. But first, here's Jamie Tatsubano from Footy Stats. World Cup action has started this week, and with it, more than a few office pools. When you say, Kirk? Who are you picking? I, Iceland, of course. Like that's uh, that is the team to cheer for, right? I'm going to go with Costa Rica. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but I, I wonder how some people can get the edge on competitors when it, pre- it comes to predicting a lot of the matchups that are going on. And one Vancouver company, it's offering soccer fans access to some very advanced analytics to help those people that are placing their bets. Joining us today is Jamie Tatubana. He is the CEO and founder of Footy Stats. Jamie, thanks for joining us on the program today. Thank you very much for having me. So who's going to win? Uh, <laughs> uh, well, I have to say Japan. Japan. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I think more realistically... Who, who's your second choice? Jamie? Second choice will be Germany uh, for me personally. So how do these analytics help you uh, in, or help the the... I guess it's the better, right? Because it's not this. People don't do this just to kind of get nicely informed. They do it probably to place some wagers. Yeah, that's correct. So usually people use our analytics to make predictions about, you know, how many goals uh, a team might score in a match mm-hmm. or how many goals they might concede, uh, stuff like that. Uh, it would also help. Uh, you know, betters uh, predict which team could win based on how they perform in their last five games, last six games, stuff like so that. So boil it down and how, like, what are the, what's the depth of the analytics? Or what are you, what are you taking a look at? Is it each athlete and his right. capacity to run to the ball or, or, or keep possession? What would, give me all the detail. That you sure. Can. Yeah, um, we do two types of, well, we do three types of analytics. So uh, one, we do uh, league level analytics. So we say uh, in the Premier League, there's about 2.55 goals per match, stuff like that. So that there's the league level. And then there's a team level, which has stuff like, uh, let's say Arsenal uh, has picked up uh, 2.25 points in their last six games. That means they're performing really good. And then you can break that down into their home games, away games, uh, and go more in depth from there. Um, and then lastly, there's the player stats. I think this is more relevant for fantasy sports players yes. and less for betters. Uh, for that, there's uh, I know stats like uh, goals per match, 
So if a player scores one goal every match, then they're a really good pick for fantasy sports, right? No kidding. So I remember when I was at the height of my fantasy sports obsession, I'd be looking at a lot of the stats that were going on in the NHL and not always the easiest to discern. And I'm wondering what you're doing to, you know, unleash kind of a platform that would Hmm. help people actually digest it in a way that is a lot easier than maybe what's available to them right now. Right. So a lot of the platform out there right now uh, that's available, that that's providing uh, soccer statistics. Statistics. Um, their user interface is really poor. Uh, a lot of the websites are, you know, ten years old, twenty years old. So what we did was we made a modern version of uh, a modern take on uh, whatever they have. Uh, so we do soccer stats, and then we make. Uh, we made the platform with really good UI on top of it. What's your business model? Uh, we do subscriptions. Okay. Uh, so it's a freemium model. It's kind of, uh, I think Hulu is the is the uh, best comparison for a layman. Mm-hmm. Uh, half the content is free. The other half, you have to pay for it. And in some cases, for instance, uh, if I'm uh, um, looking at, say, the Super Bowl, I mean, I could place a wager on how long the national anthem is going to be taking. They're going to take uh, <laughs> right. you know, what's how long is the hang time of the first punt going to be? I mean, I you know, yeah. I can bet on everything. Yes, well. yes. What can what can your analytics do in terms of helping the better yeah. around some of these crazy detailed bets that people like to make? Crazy detailed bets. We actually provide analytics mostly for the. Uh, popular markets like over under uh-huh. uh, more so than uh, crazy detail ones. But uh, one thing that we do that, uh, you know, other stats site don't do is we give you analytics on uh, how many goals happen, let's say in a 10 minute window okay. during a soccer match. So yeah. like between the 70th and the 80th minute, uh, how many goals uh, does this team score? So we we can obviously get into kind of the nitty gritty of the betting as well. And sure. What's interesting to me is that we see jurisdictions in North America. I'm thinking about yes. New Jersey most recently. They yes. just passed legislation that's going to allow legalized sports betting. New York is looking at legislation. I'm wondering if that's... Yeah, the Supreme Court has given every state the opportunity now to, so, to launch into this world. So what does mm-hmm. that actually mean for maybe a company like yours if we see a big expansion of sports betting and, and a lot of people want to have all the data available mm-hmm. to them. Yeah, uh that news was really exciting to me personally. Um right now we see the most amount of our customers coming from UK uh and Africa. I hear uh football is pretty popular over there, right? Yeah, football is yeah, huge yeah. in Europe. Yeah, they call it football there not soccer. Um get glad to see it's finally getting its way. <laughs> yeah, it's making its way here. Um yeah, so, uh, you know, it's nice to know that uh, the market here in North America is expanding. I think a lot of people have been betting sort of secretly. Uh, I, how? I, I don't you know how you could ever assume such a thing. <laughs> well, that's why it's secret. It's not illegal to bet here, but it is like, you know, it's it's uh, if it's not totally legal, then you don't really want to tell your friends about it. You know, there's. Yeah. Uh, there's some certain aspect of that, so I'm really excited. The CRA necessarily, I no. don't. Right, right. right. So, uh, you know, uh, yeah, it's just exciting to. Have Do you a think new that that's market. coming here though? Is that is that kind of legalized betting framework 
I going f- to come because of course we have it through uh you know we have sports action and a couple mm-hmm. of other things that sports select in other provinces and things that do some degree mm-hmm. of this but do you think that the the american framework will come to canada before terribly long uh i hope that you know us legalizing it would encourage canada to do so as well yeah um also having more option of bookmakers is just better for the u- end user as well so sure yeah i would like that so what's maybe surprised you about your own outlook on soccer as you've developed this platform got mm-hmm. a deeper look into the analytics that are available has it changed your perspective on just the outcomes of certain games or even the way mm-hmm. that you watch games right uh i think it's made me look at soccer in a more unpredictable manner uh because before i made it you know uh as i was gathering all the data and creating a database creating this platform um i sort of assumed that you can predict the outcome of a result to a certain extent uh if you have enough data set that's like every you know data scientist like you know uh belief uh but and your background is in data science as well i should have mentioned that earlier uh, my background is in creating websites. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but after finishing the platform and then, you know, uh, making several predictions based off of the stats that I made, uh, more or less, sometimes things are just really unpredictable. Yeah. Th- that's fascinating that you say that because uh, I, I'm not a massive soccer uh, aficionado, but I have season tickets for the Whitecaps. Oh, perfect. And of course, at the MLS level, I yes. think the game is a little bit rougher in the sense it's not, it is not as precise mm-hmm. but when i look at teams in the premier league and when i am certainly looking at teams in the world cup mm-hmm. i look at much more precision mm-hmm. and predictability in a certain way in a sense because, mm. because i i, I kind of think they know exactly what they're going to be doing mm. their their job is to execute against very precise plays um unlike some of the more ramshackle MLS stuff <laughs> where the skill level is not quite as high. So you've actually found it the other way that it actually, that there is a real random or maybe not random, but there's much more left to chance here. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, let's say there will be a team that won 95% of their game, uh, at home. Mm-hmm. And then they will be playing against a team that's lost a hundred percent of their game at away. And they're still, and, and they still lose. Yeah. And they still lose. <laughs> and it would happen. And, yeah. and so, you know, it's uh That's the Vancouver Whitecaps. That's the way that <laughs> I just want you to know. <laughs> yeah. Tell me a little bit though. I mean, you guys are offering the analytics during the World Cup for the next month for free. You guys yes. depend on a bit of a subscriber model though. Yes. Is the idea, hey, we'll get people hooked during like the most, you know, high profile time in, over the next few years? Yeah. Um we want people to World Cup it's such a you know, high visibility event. Mm-hmm. that uh we decided to just make everything for world cup free and then just let people you know use the product love the product and then if they stick around and you know keep betting or keep playing fantasy sports after that then they might we we just hope that they subscribe okay well i'm going to be looking at all the iceland stats uh, for the next month it's <laughs> yeah. going to be because they're going all the way yeah. for the next month right i may only have to look at the costa rican stats for about a week yeah, yeah. fair enough fair enough <laughs> But Jamie, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you very much. That's Jamie Tatsubana. He is the CEO and founder of Footy Stats. 
And that's it for BIB today. Thanks a lot for listening. Make sure you tell your friends to subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. And don't forget to leave a review. Make it five-star, of course. Be sure to find our stories, of course, in print and online at BIB.com. I'm Kirk Point. We'll see you next time. Well, I think to the surprise of no one, the U.S. Federal Reserve raised its benchmark rate this week. It's signaling confidence in the American economy right now. Meanwhile, the Bank of Canada, it's been sitting back since last year, but many are expecting our central bank will make a move very soon. Bank of Canada Governor Stephen Paulos, he's been hinting at that. And joining us today to talk about what these movements could mean for us in BC and across Canada, it is Jason Del Picario. He's a portfolio manager at Hollis Wealth. Jason, great to have you back on the program. Thanks for having me again, fellas. Is it, uh, is it just defying logic that with all of the seeming craziness that takes place out of the White House, the American economy is just propelling and the Fed has to put the brakes on a little bit here? Well... You know, Donald Trump, of course. You sound disappointed. <laughs> well, no, 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 no I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not disappointed. But I mean, you know, w- w- when the economy is going well, uh, the politician pats him or herself on the back and says, yay, look at me, I've done such a great job. And when it's not going well, they look backwards and say, oh, well, it was his or her fault before me. And, you know, look what I inherited. So, right. you know, there, there's a lot of that going on. Listen, the, the U.S. economy was doing well before Donald Trump uh, took office. Uh, and yeah, it's been doing relatively well uh, after that. Now, let, let, let's remember, though, that we're nine years removed from the 2008 or the 2009 crisis, whatever whatever year we want to call it. And um, this has been the weakest recovery on record, the weakest post-war recovery uh, on record. So, um, you know, when we say that the U.S. economy is strong, it's 3% strong. It's not 4 or 5 or 6% where it should be uh, in this stage, at, at this stage of the cycle. So we need to sort of temper our our uh, celebrations a little bit. So it, it's a weak recovery, but it's also, I believe, the second longest since the Second World War, which means it's probably coming to a close in the next few years. So then what happens next? Is the United States going to have enough levers in order to, you know, uh, juice up the economy to a certain degree if it needs to do that? Yeah, so that's very perceptive. And that's something that um, at least my, my office that we're starting to look at Um Uh, Yes, it has been the second longest uh, recovery on record. And again, if we look at what the early part of the recovery looked like, the early part of the recovery looked like 0% interest rates and the Federal Reserve printing $80 billion a month. So, um, you know, in the absence of 0% interest rates and $80 billion a month, and if we look at not only the Federal Reserve, but the Bank of England, the Bank of Japan, the Bank of Canada, uh, they collectively printed $5 trillion worth of capital. So, what would have the recovery looked like in uh, absent those very, very accommodative uh, um, policies, I guess, if we want to call them? Um, and yes, I mean, I think we can all agree that we are certainly uh, closer to the next recession than we are removed from the last. And what trips us into the next recession? Well, I think probably rising interest rates. Uh, 11 out of the last 13 rising rate cycles have led to a recession. So I think that that's a safe bet there. And, and that's what we're now seeing here late in this cycle. And all this trade war stuff is probably not good either. So if you combine those two factors, yeah, we're probably close to the next recession. And commingling with all of this, Jason, is also the Donald Trump tax cuts mm-hmm. and what that is doing in terms of the climate. Yes. Yeah. Is that 
helping the climate of the American economy at the moment? Short term, absolutely. And that's another really great point and, and one that I hadn't think to, thought to bring up, but it's, it's really important for us to understand. At this point in the cycle, it is very unusual for us to be having fiscal stimulus. So cutting taxes, for lack of a better term, is fiscal stimulus. Um, I... S- I think we'd be giving him too much credit to to uh, think that he thought that because now the Fed is raising rates and starting to reduce their balance sheet, that the fiscal stimulus w- would offset that effect. But that's kind of what's happening. Because um, these aren't temporary tax cuts. This is right. What it, this seems to be instilling an entire new regime. Yes. Of of taxes, which are bound uh, conventionally anyway to think that you're uh, going to inflate the deficits. Uh, involving in all of this. It's not like there's a certain solution here. Right. No question. Uh, And so, you know, many people that I read and sort of pay attention to feel that this is extremely irresponsible. While it may provide a bump in the short term, uh, what's the government going to do during the next recession? Are they going to cut taxes further? Are they going to, you know, ram interest rates down to zero or negative? I mean, these are the only tools they have left to them. And or are they going to expand their balance sheet back up to, you know, trillions of dollars, i.e. this quantitative easing and printing money? Uh, Those are sort of the only tools that are left in their arsenal. And they're kind of using one of them, i.e. lowering taxes, before it's even arguably needed. So that's very political, very short-sighted. And yes, the U.S. has a massive uh, deficit problem, as we know, uh, and their budget deficit is only going to get worse. So yes, this doesn't help long-term. Maybe at the start of the year, we would have thought that there had been at least one or two rate hikes by now here in Canada. Mm -hmm. What happens though? Do you think the Bank of Canada governor is actually taking a pause looking at maybe the implications of the tariffs that are being introduced there, that the implications of a possible trade war? Could it be that even though we've been getting some signals from the Bank of Canada that rate hike is coming, they may just put the pause button on this one? Yeah, um, it's difficult to sort of handicap how that's all going to shake down. I mean, really, rates should have started rising in around 2013, 2014. Even 2012, we could make the argument that that should have been happening then. Uh, So they are clearly playing catch up. Um, I think the Canadian government uh, is certainly worried about uh, tariffs and trade wars and how that will impact our economy. Our economy has been running a little bit hot. Um, so, you know, it's, if had they raised rates at their most recent meeting, it wouldn't have been anything that would have been necessarily untoward. Um, I do think that we will probably see a few rate rises in the, you know, in the next, say, 12 to 18 months. Um, but looking beyond 12 to 18 months, uh, I think that that would be a reasonable time period for us to express, uh, expect the economy to slip into recession. And at that point, you know, the, the rates will be going the other way quickly. But, but that also brings up the question, has the Bank of Canada waited too long to raise rates at this point? Are they going to have you know fewer tools in their toolbox in case there's an unexpected shock to the economy before that 12 to 18 month period? Right. I mean, so in North America, we think that uh, you know if we have rates of 2%, that we can only go to zero. But if you talk to somebody in Sweden, Switzerland, Denmark, uh, Germany, Holland, uh, Japan, uh, they can go below zero. Um, and, and, and that's a really difficult thing for us to wrap our minds around in that we would be getting, we would be paying a bank to have our money in the bank. That's what's happening in some of these countries. And really what they're well, trying to do. I feel like do- I do that now anyway. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah, a,
you know, what they're trying to do, of course, is encourage you not to hold your money in the bank. It's to go out and spend it. I mean, we're still in this very much consumer-driven uh, economy and and politicians and economists uh, get rewarded for, you know, GDP going up and earnings per share going up. Um, and again, that's a totally different show. But um, yeah, I mean, the, 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 you know, the Bank of Canada arguably was a little bit behind the curve. Um, they are arguably a little bit ahead of the curve. I mean, they were raising rates before the Federal Reserve was right. raising rates. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think we're kind of splitting hairs here a little bit. Um, I think the, the short-term path of rates is probably marginally higher, um, but longer term, I think, and, and this is an outsider opinion or an outlier opinion, I do think we see negative rates during the next recession here in North America. Well, not only that, Jason, but we are, we are now coming up to the election cycle's conclusion. And so you're going to see the, the federal liberals want to, um, to talk about the economy in a, a great deal a, a year hence for sure. Is it a good idea in a lot of ways to have a Bank of Canada out there gnawing at your leg where they're, uh, they're raising interest rates? Um, is, is it not in the interest of this government to do whatever it can fiscally in order to dissuade Stephen Polos from you know, pulling the plug? Yeah. So, I mean, this is another very long uh, discussion, which is the separation of banks, uh, central banks t to government. Um, the presumed one. You know, yeah, the presu right. The presumed separation. You know, yeah. um, they are appointed by government. Yeah. So we, we can draw our own conclusions there. Um, you know, Paulos has been... Um, He's been chastised a little bit about getting a little too close to government, and he's he's vehemently uh, uh, defended his position as being an independent uh, body. Um, and he has also been critical of the government's fiscal uh, policies. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if, if you believe Stephen Polo's, yes, the, the, the liberal government should probably get their house in order. Um, you'll recall, though, that Justin Trudeau did uh, campaign on running deficits. Yeah. Um, now, of course, those have been bigger and longer. Longer than than deficits that were supposed to end by the end of his well, first. That's term. what I was just going to say. Yeah, yeah. bigger and, and longer than. than I don't than, think he was talking about them ending sometime in his lifetime. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. 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 I mean, no question. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, you look at, uh, you know, a microcosm, say the Ontario government, they're in an absolute mess. So uh, I think Canadians uh, from from the early 90s experience that we had with our government's deficits getting out of control, and then of all people, Chrétien and Paul Martin came in and, and really cleaned up shop. And we were actually, um, you know, sort of a guiding light or a beacon in terms of fiscal responsibility um, in the world. Um, and we're losing that now again. So yeah, I mean, you know, debt matters, deficits matter, absolutely. Uh, and, and, you know, there's been many studies um, uh, by economists uh, off the top of my head, I believe the name is Rogoff, where they have shown that once a debt to GDP ratio gets beyond 90, that that starts to inhibit growth. Um, so, yeah, absolutely, it matters. We've been thinking a lot about the macro of this all, but bring it down a little bit for the average Canadian. If we're looking at what's going on in the United States, that's obviously going to affect, say, maybe the loony, and I don't know how that's going to maybe affect maybe our own investments, but also think about what's going on with the potential rate hike from the Bank of Canada. How does this matter to maybe just average Canadians and their investments? Yeah, my understanding is that we have a real estate industry in this country as <laughs> yeah. well. Yeah, I've yeah. heard, yeah. I've heard of that, yeah. Right, so I, I was going to start answering that question in the context of mortgages because I think most Canadians in terms of debt, like the biggest debt that they have are is generally mortgages. I mean, there there are consumer debts that people have, lines of credits. I mean, a line, but a line of credit is, is generally tied to the prime interest rate, which of course is tied to the Bank of Canada rate, and that's going to fluctuate. I think- 
you know, in terms of consumer debt, yeah, it's going to get more expensive uh, to service things like lines of credits, HELOCs um, in the short term. When we talk about mortgages, I mean, we can get we can get a little a little cute. Um, you know, for example, if somebody has a mortgage that's coming due, let's say in the next 12 months, uh, what do they do? Do they lock in at another five year rate? Do they go variable? Um, you know, it really depends on obviously their individual circumstances. But if they can afford to kind of play the rate game a little bit, my suggestion would be this would be a good time to go variable. Okay. Um, because as I said, while I do think in the short term rates might um, back up here a little bit, I think longer term, and when I say longer term, I'm thinking sort of 18, 12, let's say 12 to 24 months, we're going to get a recession. I mean, <laughs> the, the central banks of the world haven't cured the business cycle and we are now nine years removed from the last recession. So we will have a recession at some point. I know that's not being talked about a lot in, in sort of the media and what have you, but we will have one. It's just a fact. And during the next recession, I think interest rates will literally go to zero and then go negative. I remember in 2008, I got my first mortgage. We bought our house in 2008, lucky timing, and it was at mm -hmm. prime minus one. It was Our interest rate was 1.25%. Nice. So, um, you know, for everybody who's looking at rates of 3%, 4%, uh, and dreaming of the time, you know, the days of 1% or 2%, I think we will see those days again, and I suspect it may even be less than that. So, uh, I would go variable um, and then uh, wait for the next recession and, and lock in during that time. Uh, do you then have a bit of a um, crystal ball on what it means for a real estate industry like ours locally? Does that mean that all of a sudden a bunch of other people are coming into the market trying to get their hands on property? And is it is is the recession itself then causing a small cratering in the value yeah, of I land mean, and property in the city? Right. Yes. Uh, I mean, I'm heavily uh, involved uh, in real estate and, and sort of my other life. And, um, you know, we, we have seen the market turn here uh, over the last, we'll call it 12 months, since the foreign tax came in. We've now got the, the luxury tax and so on and so forth. Uh, the stress test from the federal government. All of this has conspired to at least the high end of the market. Like anything over $3 million in Vancouver, that market is dead right now. Condo market is still hot. Um, you know, where I live in East Vancouver, that sort of housing end of the market is, is still for lack of a better term, hot. I mean, we're not seeing multiple offers, but the but the prices have remained strong. So yes, I do think, I and mean, if, if we, I always like to think about what's going to happen during the next recession by looking back to 2008, because that was a that was a significant event, and I think that the next event we will have will also be significant. Prices came off anywhere from about 20 to 25 percent during that time in Vancouver. So I would expect the same. Um, but having said that, I would expect the market to rebound rather quickly as it did coming out of 2008, um, you know, for a myriad of reasons. But of course, rates being uh, low, uh, Vancouver being an attractive pace, place. Uh, and I think there's also a lot of pent up demand. I think there's a lot of people that are sitting on the sidelines waiting for, um, you know, uh, obviously they'd love a crash, a but little, I think a dip. Yeah. A tiny bit of a dip. And that's right. And of course, interest rates to um, to to look as if they're at least going, stable, going to stay low. stable yeah. or go lower. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree. OK, so I'm going to sell now and then I'll wait 12 to 18 months and then I'm going to get in on the market. Again. Live in the park right. in the meantime. Yeah. Probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, Jason, always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Thanks very much for having me. That's Jason Del Vicario, Portfolio Manager at Hollis Wealth. And that's it for BIV today. Thank you for listening. Make sure you tell your friends to subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher, and don't forget to leave a nice five-star review. Be sure to find our stories in print and online as well at BIB.com. We'll see you next time.